Hi, welcome to Bill Allen's Facebook Studies. This is the Thursday afternoon edition, as it is Thursday afternoon. See how I did that? Pretty convenient, right? Glad to have you joining in. These lessons are from the Psalms, Psalm 108 today, but it's based on a daily devotional book uh, and guide from Timothy and Kathy Keller, the late Tim Keller, great uh, preacher to preachers and author and, um, and faculty, all of that stuff. But anyway, he's a good person to read, and he and his wife worked on this daily devotional guide, and so we're using that for our studies on Thursday afternoons. And today we find ourselves in Psalm 108, uh, as that is part of this past week's reading. So um, it's a, it's probably a really great psalm uh, to consider during the time and. Uh, circumstance that we're in. We are very concerned, of course. I know you are. Uh, I certainly am about all of the things that are going on in our world today about what's happening in the Middle East, especially between Israel and Hamas and all of the the nations and the peoples involved. Certainly things can continue to be difficult in Russia and Ukraine. Um, obviously there's threats in China and Taiwan. North and South Korea, uh, the list just seems to go on and on and on. So I'm, uh, I'm grateful that we have the Word of God during times like these because these are not the first times that uh, the hum human race at the time has gone through difficulties. Certainly not the first time for Christians to have uh, inside and outside threats. Uh, that uh, affect our emotional well-being and can affect our spiritual well-being as well. Certainly can obviously affect even our physical lives. So I'm glad that you're joining in. I don't want to be a downer. Uh, the topic today is courage, the courage of faith, actually. And again, it's based from Psalm 108. And so as we pray for God's will to be done in our world today, and that's what I continue to pray, uh, we also pray that with faith. And we know that God will work his will and his purpose out. We don't know what that will look like, and but we trust him because he does. And that's where Psalm 108 comes in. Psalm 108, according to the headings, which as we have said uh, many times before, the headings of the Psalms are not inspired, but they are likely accurate. And you can base the content of a Psalm, use that content to determine things like the the situation, the time period, you can't know everything and sometimes you can't know anything. Could be anybody in any time. And that's the beauty of the Psalms actually. But in some of the Psalms, such as Psalm 51 and Psalm 108, this one today, uh, it says the Psalm of David. And as we read through this Psalm, we recognize that certainly this does sound exactly like a Psalm of David. Uh, so let's read this psalm. It's not very long, and so hopefully, Bill, this lesson won't be very long. But uh, And then we'll have a prayer at the end of it, and I hope that you will continue to pray uh, for our uh, nation, our communities, and uh, our church, and our world. Uh, so Psalm 108, My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. 
Verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Save us and help us with your right hand, that those you love may be delivered. God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph, I will parcel out Shechem and measure off the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. On Edom, I toss my sandal. Over Philistia, I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God? You who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. Whew. Again, a very timely psalm. And as we begin, I want, I want to say this, first of all. Um, scripture in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I pray that. I pray for the peace uh, everywhere that God's will would be done and that the Prince of Peace uh, and the righteous God would bring justice and mercy and freedom for all. Uh, and I realize that that's a very optimistic prayer, but God can do it, certainly, if man will let him. And that's the problem, isn't it? And so we have Psalms like this. David is obviously under attack. In the first few verses, we don't understand what's going on in his life. He's just calling himself and others to worship. But when we read the rest of the psalm, starting at about verse 5, we realize, yeah, David was in one of those times when he was troubled, and he was troubled a lot of the time. There were always people that were trying to get after him, whether it was King Saul at first, that David would ultimately replace as king, uh, or David's own son, Absalom, uh, who tried to uh, have a coup and put himself on the throne uh, and take his father's life or some of the nations that were constantly uh, battling uh, the Israelites, uh, such as the Edomites and the Philistines and others that are mentioned in this psalm, including many, many others that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And so let's be careful if we apply this to today, because the conflict going on overseas between Israel and Hamas is a horrible, horrible thing. And uh, there's no justification for what Hamas did. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, there's absolutely no justification for that. I think Israel is a sovereign nation. Sovereign nations have the right to defend themselves. And God uh, has different uh, rules and expectations and laws, I think, for the heads of state and for nations and uh, the, the, uh, the power behind those nations than he does for Christians in the church. It's clear that scripture doesn't uh, give a lot of leeway to the Christian. We are to love our enemies and forgive our enemies. Uh, and I get that. But nations, again, have to act in wisdom and prudence based on what's right, certainly, but also based on what's best for their particular nation and the citizens that are under their rule and that are under their care, really. And so we, um, uh, we unequivocally uh, speak out against the violence that was uh, put out against Israel. And now as Israel defends itself, there will be a lot of discussion about whether they're doing that in a right way or a wrong way. And I'm okay to have that. Uh, but um, 
we should be 100% in agreement that what Hamas did was absolutely evil and horrific and, and wrong. Uh, but let's not put that in with scripture because that's a different setting altogether. David is, yes, he was king of a sovereign nation, the nation of Israel at that time, a united nation under King Saul and King David and his son, King Solomon. Then the kingdom divided and they began fighting against each other. Um, but at this time, we have to remember that when God speaks about his people in the Old Testament, he's speaking about the chosen nation, not just a kingdom, not just a nation, but God's chosen people as descendants of Abraham. Uh, and they had special laws that were applied to them. Now God's chosen people is the church. And that doesn't have boundaries like nations do. And, and we should respect those boundaries, obviously, and respect those laws. Uh, but the church is um, transcends those boundaries. There are people in the church in every nation, I believe, everywhere you could go. You could find people who worship the God of uh, the Bible. And, and so we get that. Jesus looked straight at the governor, the Roman secular governor, Pontius Pilate, and said, my kingdom is not of this world. That was not true in David's day when he wrote Psalm 108. So let's be careful with that, shall we? Let's remember that Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it, if it were, my subjects would come and fight for me militarily. And he could have done it. He could have called those legions of angels. He could have brought down the mountains upon his enemies, but he that wasn't the kind of kingdom he came to establish. In Matthew 16, he says, um, uh, my church will be built on the confession that I am the son of God that Peter had just made, and nothing will be able to overcome it. That's the kingdom we're part of. No matter what nation, as a secular sense that, that we live in. And no matter what time period we live in, we're a part of the same kingdom that Paul and Peter were a part of in the first century. So let's break this down a little bit, shall we? The first four verses of Psalm 108 are a joyous call to praise. Uh, my heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. And so immediately someone says, hey, Bill, your church doesn't use instruments of music in worship. That's correct. Uh, so how come David did? Yes, that's right. David also sacrificed animals. David also met on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, not on Sunday. David also was required as a good Jew in all of his day work, according to the law of Moses, the men to make a trek, three annual treks at least, to Jerusalem, to the temple. Um, none of those things apply because we are under the new covenant, the New Testament, which uh, Jesus came and established and began after his death, burial, and resurrection, after his ascension almost two months later into heaven, and then uh, almost two months later, he established his church in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, um, uh, just within two months after uh, his death on uh, the Passover weekend. So uh, let, let's remember that. Let's remember that. There are differences. In Scripture in the New Testament, though the Jews were very used to using instruments of music, though the non-Jews, the Gentiles, were very used to it as well, we don't find that in the New Testament. And we don't find that in history. And when you look through the first several centuries of the church in secular history, in church history as well, you realize that 
they didn't use instruments of music and they didn't for a long, long time, hundreds of years. And even when they tried in the Roman church, when they tried, uh, it was, uh, it, it was uh, struck down until finally it was acceptable. That's kind of the way that goes, isn't it? So that's my conviction. I'm just sharing you with my conviction because I know you're going to ask me about that because of what I just read. This is still inspired scripture, and David did that. He was a great musician. I think he was kind of right-brained, you know, one of those artistic kind of fellows because he played musical instruments, he sang, uh, he wrote poetry, wrote songs that we sing still today even. Um, and yet he was also a military leader. Uh, killed a lot of people, had armies that killed a lot of people, and uh, and was king of Israel for 40 years. Uh, he says, I will awaken the dawn. Uh, <clears throat> Tim and Kathy Keller in their comments say that means that he's, he's talking about that dark time that he's in, and he's going to awaken the dawn, and that could be, could also be that he was just playing at night and, and would wake everybody up and welcome the dawn when the sun began to rise. I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter which is which. We'll get to the second half of this psalm in just a moment. But verse 3 says, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. And these are nations that were antagonistic against David and the Jews. And we see that in the last half of this psalm. And yet David says, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, even those who do not recognize that God is the one true and living God. David says, well, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And I really do believe that this is central. You're saying, Bill, wait, I thought you were going to talk about how we could be courageous uh, through our faith. Well, this is where it starts. It starts with God. It starts with God's sovereignty, God's power, God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's faithfulness, God's judgment and his justice, and his holiness, and his mercy. All of those things is where we should start. I realize that that doesn't speak specifically to the questions we might have, or the whys, or the how do we get through this, but in a sense it does, because the way we get through this is through God. The courage of faith is what this lesson is entitled, and I think that's what we read from David in Psalm 108 his faith and trust in God. We see it in the 23rd Psalm, best of all, I think. But we see it here as well. I will sing praises to you, even among the nations, the Gentiles, the peoples that don't recognize you, the ones that are threatening me. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. But then in verse 5, he begins to talk a little bit more about what he's going through. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth, not just Israel, all the earth. Save us and help us with your right hand, that those you love may be delivered. Obviously, David was at a point where the people were being threatened, he was being threatened, and he needed saving. In spite of being king, in spite of being the military commander, having a great army, David was being threatened to the point to where he recognized the only person that he could turn to was the Lord. But the Lord was there. Save us and help us with your right hand. That's that symbol of power that we read every once in a while in the Old Testament. That's what David is referring to. That those you love may be delivered. David reminds God of his love for his people and asks him to act on that love. 
And then these verses, God has spoken from his sanctuary, and triumph I will parcel out Shechem and measure off the valley of Succoth. Some of the enemies of, of the Jews are mentioned now in verse 8. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter. Some of those were, of course, enemies, Moabites, um, the uh, Gilead, um, all of these uh, nations that he's going to mention in a minute, the Edomites, the Philistines, and the Moabites, and yet... Uh, he speaks of Ephraim, which is that area of the northern kingdom that would become the northern kingdom of Israel in the northern part of um, Palestine. And Judah is my scepter. That was the southern part, the part uh, that was just west of the Jordan River in the southern part and west of the Dead Sea in the area where Jerusalem and Bethlehem were. Um, David acknowledges that it's all God's. It's all God's. Uh, and he's not threatened by my enemies, David says. Moab is my Moab is my wash basin. On Edom I toss my sandal. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Those were the enemies of the Jews of David's day. And in faith, he could find his courage. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Verse 10 asks, who will lead me to Edom? David's looking around, asking, okay, who's going to be our captain? Who's going to be our, our uh, uh, the head of our force, our battle force? And then he answers his own questions in verse 11. Is it not you, God? You who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? David had taken on some hits, taken some defeats. And he realized that God is the one who let that happen. And so David pleads with God and prays that he would not reject his people. And so verse 12, give us aid against the enemy for human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory and he will trample down our enemies. It hadn't happened yet. It's the courage of faith. But David believed and trusted in God. And so he believed that God would deliver him. And we can too, whatever that looks like. Whatever happens from here, these are perilous times and uh, scary times dangerous days and it's more dangerous in other places even than here certainly so and so we plead with God to remember those that he loves to remember that human help is worthless here we need the action of God uh, scripture says in the book of James faith without works is dead so we plead with these nations and our leaders and uh, all of those from law enforcement to military to elected officials to appointed officials we plead with them to act um, in the way that is right and just and true. Um, but we also realize that the courage that we have doesn't come from those things. Courage we have comes from God. Uh, steadfastness is that courage that David calls for, uh, standing one's ground and doing what is right. I've heard it said that courage doesn't mean that you're not afraid. Courage means that you act in spite of your fear. And I think that's a great, great definition. It's okay to be afraid. That's a human emotion. But just like we face death, uh, in the words of 1 Thessalonians 4, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. In the same way, we do not face the difficulties of life um, as those who have no faith. We face them trusting in our great God. Um, David says... Uh, it's not that I can do it. It's that you can do it. And your cause is what's more important to me. 
And David will face any foe for the sake of his Lord, whom he loves above all. He's not looking to himself or to his armies. That is the secret of courage. Um, let's close with prayer. Father, you know these times better than we do. You know everything that's going on, everything that's led up to this moment. And you also know, Father, what's going to happen from here. You know just as clearly what will be going on a month from now as you do what happened yesterday. And so, Father, we're grateful for that. And we trust in you because you are the one who has that wisdom and the only one. You are the one who has the strength, who has the plan and the purpose. And so, Father, we pray that your will would be done. And we pray that we would be a part of helping accomplish that will. We pray, Father, for the situation in Israel and in Gaza and in the surrounding areas. We pray, Father, for the situation in Ukraine and Russia, for other places that are in harm's way, Taiwan, um, North and South Korea, China, all of those that have power, Father, to, to do what's right or to selfishly do what's wrong. Father, we pray that your will would be done. We pray that justice and liberty and freedom and peace would be able to come one day. And we ask, Father, that uh, you would remember the ones that you love, people that are suffering, those who are mourning uh, such horrible, horrible tragedy. We pray, Father, that you would bless them and comfort them and that you would help them, Father, to find uh, the rest and the peace that they need. Father, just be with our leaders. Help them to do what's right. Help them, Father, to do what's just. Help them, Father, to try to seek uh, a way to be able to overcome this violence and this bloodshed and this turmoil. Father, help us in this country, in the United States. Keep us safe. We realize that terrorism could happen here. Uh, we hear the threats uh, tomorrow, and we pray for safety for uh, your people and for all in this land. We pray for our communities. We pray for our leaders. Father, we just ask that uh, that your will would be done. And we pray again, Father, that we would trust in you the way David did. That in the midst of difficult times, even when we're afraid, we can still have courage. Because even during difficult times, we can still have faith. Father, bless us and protect us according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May God bless and keep you and yours over this uh, these difficult days. And uh, I hope that you'll be able to join us either in person or online on Sunday for our worship services here at West Irwin Church of Christ. And uh, I hope that you'll be able to join us next week as we go back uh, to our studies on Tuesday and Thursday. God bless.